Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Our guest today is Professor Dr. Dr. Stefan Brunhuber. He's an MD, a psychiatrist with a PhD in finance and economics, an endowed professor for sustainability research, member of the Board of Trustees of the World Academy of Arts and Sciences, and political counselor to the EU Commission, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations. Enjoy. My first and most favorite question is, how have you become such a force for good? What happened in your life that put you on this path? to servicing humanity? Well, I'm not sure whether I became such a force for good, but I can tell you about a story that happened in 1972, which was kind of life-changing, you know? And you might be surprised, because you're a member of the Club of Rome, that I had that experience 50 years ago. I was 10 years old. You wouldn't believe it. I was 10 years old. I was a student at school at the German gymnasium, My economic teacher came into the classroom and he put limits to growth on the table. And he said, you know, boys, there had been famous people who wrote an important book about the future. This electrified me. I went home, bought the book. And over the next years and decades, I was basically following up the activities of the Club of Rome. And I also had the intuitive feeling that throughout these publications and throughout these um, initiatives and activities, there had been one aspect chronically understated or even missed out. And this was the money and financial sector with regard to its impact on sustainability. And this is where I am right now here talking about sustainability on one side and on finance and sustainability on the other. Right, so here being, we have the honor and the privilege to jointly um, share a conference together with uh, the club, between the Club of Rome and the World Academy of Arts and Sciences in Dubrovnik, in the beautiful 800-year-old city and uh, surrounded by beauty and tradition. And uh, so, yes, so tell us about it. This podcast is about the investment turnaround. Yeah. And um, so like me, you focus on the transformation of finance mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that it serves humanity and the planet and global civilization rather than itself as it does yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. take us through the major tenets of your proposal of the Tao of Finance and the work that you're currently doing. Yeah. How do you want that transformation yeah. to happen? Let, let, let me try to summarize it. I mean, the question that really uh, gets me going is how are we going to finance our future, not the past? not the present, but the future. And the best way to look at the future, the best roadmap to look at it, is the UN SDGs, the UN Sustainability Development Goals, as a rough role model or roadmap where we're going to go roughly. It's 17 goals, and the world community basically signed in in September 2015 on these goals, roughly. The question we left out as a world community was, how much is going to cost? And second, Who's going to pay that bill? 
All right. And we came up with a bill of roughly five trillion US dollar every year. We being we a working group at the WAS mm-hmm. also parts WAS being the World Academy of Arts and Sciences. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and also members of the club and also members of the European Academy, experts trying to find out what's the bill. Okay, it's a T. It's not billions, it's the trillions every year. And this amount of money is necessary in addition to what we're doing right now, right? And the second question is where does the money come from? And then you can go much closer into the 17 goals and you can identify that roughly about a third of the goals, their goals or sub-targets, they are very easily eligible for private equity and private funding, right? In agriculture, in infrastructure, in healthcare, education, etc. Renewables, name it. However, two-thirds of the targets are basically common goods. Which you can, you, you, you can decide to privatize them, but then you, we will end up in 30, 40 years in a completely privatized world. And I think we don't have a global, we don't have a global consensus that we actually want that. We don't want to privatize biodiversity or land or water or fresh air completely, right? So for the one third, we basically have a very good model, which is integral impact funding. This is where the money should go for. For the other two thirds, we have to think a little bit more out of the box, right? And our approach is, I would say it's a six pack, right? And I just mentioned the six packs, which has to get together. And with the six packs, I think we have a very decent chance that we are able to finance our future and the future for our kids, right? The first is, very conventional stuff is about regulation, right? We gotta get parts of the stuff better regulated, like offshore, offsheet, fraud, corruption, all that stuff. The second level is about taxation. We have to tax spatially the carbon price over the years. Roughly at the moment we have 10 euros per ton, CO2 equivalent, and we have to tax that over the next years and decades up to 100 euros. Okay, in order to stay within the two degree Paris Agreement. The third level is impact funding, as I just mentioned. Okay, two to three trillion every year could be directly invested into social, ecologically sensitive areas, which could make a huge difference. Right? But now it gets tricky, it gets really tricky. You know, a fourth aspect, and a fourth and a fifth aspect, I, we call it X-swap, okay, is a financial engineering instrument which is required to guarantee that you're shutting down carbon economy on one side and enable the economy to move on into the next age. I will give, do we have some more time to discuss that? One we details? do, oh, all the time in the world. Okay. And that's why we're doing this. Oh, wonderful. So let's say you are... Uh, the CFO of the Vatican and you identify in your balance sheet brown and black investments, okay? And you say, I really want to get rid of that stuff, right? I want to swap into green investment or into impact investment. What you're doing normally, traditionally, is you try to sell the stuff and to go into green instead. But the point is, from a, from a helicopter perspective, if you sell the stuff, the brown and the black investments, they still pollute the air like a coal mine. It's then run by another management. So you have to come up with a so-called exit strategy. 
And the exit strategy is within the whole X and swapping into the green economy, you have to make sure that the coal mine is shut down. So you basically have to create a bonus program for the CEO of the fossil coal mine to say, look, from tomorrow onwards, your business model is different. You have to liquidate your firm. If you do that in five years, I give you, say a number, five million extra. If you do it in three years, you get 10 million extra, but then it's over, okay? But then it's really run down, then it's over. But at the same time, if you are the owner of black and brown investments, you want to keep your value, okay? Because along the value chain, you basically have, at the end of the day, baby boomer pensioners who want to consume that money because it's a pension fund at the end, most of it. So you want to make sure that you can swap that value on one side, you can exit it, can swap the value into something which is green with the same equivalent value. And you can do that by identifying big, large infrastructures. Like you can invest into reforesting the Sahara. This would be investment for a big pension fund. You could invest, and now comes the fifth point, within the PPP, a private-public partnership. Okay, there's about six, eight different formats to do that. We have an X swap PPP contract. If you would do that, you can invest into roughly or globally 5 million kindergarten, 500 schools, 500,000 schools, 50,000 hospitals, and 50,000 universities over the next 15 years. There's huge investment opportunities if the financial instrument of an X swap PPP roughly is exerted and apply it to ensure a de-risking for the private sector and the public sector being in, in the game. But still, with these five instruments, regulation, taxation, X swap, impact funding, and PPP, we do not cover the whole bill yet. There's still stuff out there which is by magnitude and by kinetics higher than we can do with these conventional instruments. And this is why our proposal kicks in and saying as a sixth instrument, as the sixth part of that six pack, we need to create parallel currencies. A parallel currency system in place run by a distributive ledger technology with a smart contract targeted to the leftover of the 17 SDGs directly funding, investing and exerting them from overcoming poverty and hunger, which can be actually done in less than 18 months if it's done properly. First field studies are on the way already at the UN, for example, in Pakistan, to um, portable water, clean water, to preschooling, etc., etc. If it comes to parallel currency, there is an interesting aspect I just want to mention here because it's often overlooked. If you had a right a 1,000-year story about the parallel currencies, okay? The story would be over the last 1,000 years, parallel currency system would have been standard. A monetary monoculture was the exception in Europe for the last 1,000 years, historically, empirically, academically. And it's always been a dual system, a local system for trading 
and an international system for international trading with partners you don't know, right? And every time when the currency system broke down, you know what happened the last thousand years? People never invented a monoculture. They always started with the dual system again, except the last 120 years. We basically were relying on Fed money, federal money, central bank money only as a monoculture to basically exert all forms of liquidity and all forms of value chains for goods and services into the society. So if we had these, the six pack in place, taxing, regulation, impact, XWAP, PPP, and parallel currencies, we would have not only a narrative, we would have the financial engineering tools to cope with the challenges in this new area we call the Anthropocene. Great. So how would you then, in short, two-part question, one yeah. is that contradicting SDGs or not... Very good, important question. Very important. Not, mm -hmm. you know, going one against the other, like, mm -hmm. you know, lifting people out of poverty at the expense of the environment. Yeah, yeah. And the mm -hmm. second question would be mm -hmm. measurement criteria. Mm -hmm. How do you ensure that you know, mm. what's initially intended is really what you end yeah. up getting. Yeah. Very good. And yeah. who, number three, mm -hmm. who's going to do the measurement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Very important questions and absolutely relevant for what we've been discussing. Uh, what does not make sense, if you look at the 17 SDGs, go through the 17 SDGs in a linear way. Let's start, start in one and two and three and four, etc. What you need technically is a so-called total asset approach. You need the lump sum of the four to five trillion running through all these six packs and every year. And you will see that all these so-called contradictions will balance out each other. The higher, the, the lower the poverty rate is going to be and the higher the renewable is going to come, the more income there will be and the less environmental there will be, right? So this will kind of balance it out on its own if it's done in the right way. The second question is really important because if we take so much money in our hands, we want to make sure that the money is going directly where it's supposed to be, right? I give you an example for the first two or three goals of the SDGs, which is first and two, one and uh, first and second is poverty and hunger, right? Uh, we can, we, we're defining poverty as something below $1.5 a day purchasing power, and we define hunger of not having enough calories per day, which is less than 750 calories, right? So if, if you identify someone in a sub-Saharan um, urban area and give him a cell phone, okay, let's say a single parent mother with five children in the slums, all right, and give her a cell phone, and through this parallel currency system, you send her every day in the morning 1.5 US dollars, green dollars on the cell phone. And then you ensure by something which is technically called an advanced commitment strategy, ACS, that the Chamber for Industry and Commerce is aware that they're going to sell more apples and more shoes and more notebooks in the next three to six months because it's an advanced notice. You can ensure, if you've done that in a proper way, and if you use basically blockchain technology, you can be sure through a smart contract algorithm 
that the lady with the five children is not going to use it for buying alcohol or drugs or a gun because the smart contract electronically doesn't allow to do that. So what you're doing, you basically create an electronic ban list of things the person cannot buy, but at the same time can overcome poverty. This is technically proven and it works already and could be implemented in less than six months with an iris scanner to identify the person. And ever she goes in a shop and buys the apples and the sports shoes, she's creating a value in the region where the money stays in the region. And if the regional financial officers and ministers get this aspect, they would even start after a couple of weeks and months to tax this a little bit. And by taxing it, they're creating an additional tax base, which they're going to reinvest in the same green economy again and again by preschooling and hospitals, etc. And the third question you're referring is how to, how to measure uh, in which investments the money should go. I would basically just look up uh, the SDGs. If you invest into preschooling, you have a lot of money to invest. You can basically invest into 5 million kindergarten places. We know how to do that. It's not a technical problem. We know how to build a kindergarten. We know how to train a kindergarten teacher. The same is true for um, goals three and four, it becomes supportable water. We know how to have clean water. We, we know how to train a plumber, actually. We know that in Germany very well. So you train plumbers to buy, to build sewages, to have portable water for everybody. We're talking about 3.3 billion people. So all these things are not a technical problem. All these things are not a problem of information or knowledge. It's a problem of directing the liquidity where it's supposed to go and reducing fraud, corruption, and illicit financial transactions. And a blockchain technology can more or less approve this. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, in a very practical way, yeah. I am a very pragmatic person building <laughs> companies from ground up. And um, so when you really take money in your own hands and let's say you are the, the representative of the Vatican, the financial uh, <laughs> investor, how would that person really go about, you know, who would be the contact people who would make sure that, let's say, he or she, you know, is willing to help the Vatican move their money to stick with your example. Uh -huh. How can, you know, this mitigation on the ground occur? Right. right. Because right. In, at the end of the day, it's not, I mean, we're talking billion trillions of yes. dollars. Yes, yeah, sure. And uh, so let's say, yes, I do want to invest uh, in building kindergartens and mm -hmm. schools, but who's going to do that for me? Here's the money. Here's the money, but for, for as soon as a private investor starts investing into a so-called hybrid or a global common or a public common, which is a kindergarten, okay, or a hospital, okay, uh, where he cannot expect private yields only, but within a PPP, a hybrid form between a private and a public right. investment, okay, he has to first identify definitely the public sector being willing to be having the skin in the game. Okay, you have to invest or to identify the North African uh, Ministry of Industry saying, okay, we are prepared to be part of that game. That's important. 
Okay. Second, you have you need the Minister of Finance in the game. And third, you might, we want to make sure if there is parallel currencies involved, okay, because the X swap PPP requires parallel currencies because you can expect wherever you invest as a private investor, the public sector is over indebted. They don't have money. They don't have money. If you want them to invest money, they have to create their own liquidity, which is then a mixture between the private money you're investing and partly the public money, which is in there for leveraged, leveraged and de-risked comparing to what specific project you're investing in. Let's say 100 kindergartens, right? Or 550 hospitals, okay? And when the question is, who is doing that? Then you can ask, is it a local? It's a local dealer who is doing the job? And or it could be an international firm. You know, it depends on the magnitude of the project. Renewables to put solar panels on a roof can be done in 90% by local people. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I know. The okay. question that I'm asking is, you know, I'm asking, you know, practically, you know, mm -hmm. really if you have, I'm not talking about trillions. If you, let's say, have $100 million, yes. you know, not a lot, you know, not the Vatican. Okay. How do you Which really... Which is still a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Yeah, it's actually sure. little compared, you know, I mean, in, no, no, in, in a, renewable energies, you could invest a lot more. Yeah. You know, in our case, you know, we're building data centers. It's easy in one project, you know, to, you know, invest a half a billion. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is who are there organizations that are actually doing this, what you're currently doing? Are there examples that it's been done? Because I cannot expect the, the Vatican represent, you know, the Vatican, the uh, financial person from the Vatican to supervise, to go to talk to the minister of, uh, let's say, Morocco and make sure that uh, he or she is going to build the schools. Yeah. So somebody, there must be some function in between. And I'm not requesting of you to um, give me the concrete examples. What I'm trying to uh, um, come to mm -hmm. arrive at is what kind of structures do we need to put in place to yeah, enable yeah, the implementation yeah. of the Tower yeah. of Finance because that's right. the next step. Yeah, well, I think the intermediaries you require here is basically ones which are out there already, which is IMF, World Bank or Development Bank. The European Investment Bank is, has an excellent structure, excellent knowledge to make sure that the money goes where it's supposed to go. It's not the Vatican who can do that, of course, okay? It's impossible. The Vatican is only responsible for its balance sheet. He cannot make himself responsible for 50 kindergartens being built in Northern Africa, okay? But a joint venture between the investor on one side and an investment or development bank on the other side, okay, can create a PPP contract with an X-swap hybrid, I just explained, strategy to make sure that the money, the money is exited and swapped into an equivalent value like kindergartens or forests. And this is done or accompanied by the IPE, the European Investment Bank. What they're doing, by the way, practically is on their boards, they put on their boards downstream or upstream uh, NGOs at, on their advisory board to ensure a high stand, moral standards. Okay, NGOs like finance watch, okay? They're sitting on the board and the only thing they have to do, they don't have to dig a hole. They only have to make sure that the money is invested where it's supposed to be. 
Yeah, well, in the, that's the theory. One that's concrete the example is, uh, you know, the Germans have declared to, you know, get out of the nuclear power production. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so do you know how that looks in practice is, you know, every day they're losing about 270,000 because the money doesn't get invested because the money doesn't get, you know, there's there are all these funds, but they don't get invested. They don't find enough projects to invest the money in. So it's uh -huh. basically... It gets lost. The so, money gets lost. Yeah, it gets wasted every day because you know people get punished. You know if you have too much money sitting on the bank, so uh -huh. you know you, you, uh, you can, lose it because of the negative interest because, rate. Exactly. Oh, so right. uh -huh. here is the money, you know, waiting to be invested mm -hmm. in a renewable way, and it can't because the systems that you have in mind yeah. have not been developed yet. Why, so why, why doesn't the, the investor call up the five? largest uh, firms in, re in, re in renewable energy and say, look, boys, I have 750 billion right out there. Okay, you get the money and you electrify, please, Africa for me within five years. Yeah, well, good question. It's not happening. It, well, and that's, yeah, a, that's a big problem that we are, <laughs> we are actually, that's why we're having this conversation <laughs> to find a way to get out of it because yeah. it's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> Another question that I have for you is um, your opinion on the challenges that are coming on top of all the other challenges that we currently have mm -hmm. and that are associated with the development of exponential technologies, artificial intelligence, and uh, you know the ethics and moral aspects that are associated with it what is your how do you see that uh, occurring in our society how do you see what can we do to mm -hmm. address those risks the risks what coming out of digitization in a very general sense yeah well as yeah if you're looking at uh, one of the things is automation AI, well, also whatever. the data i mean yeah, you know the data, data hunger yeah. um, and the privacy and uh, mm -hmm. when you listen to elon musk he would tell you that uh, that ai is more dangerous than nukes yeah so what yeah, is I your can, opinion let's but you well that's a, that's a very bulky busk basket question which uh, uh, doesn't allow to give a single answer. If it comes to data, especially big data correlations, right? The question is first, who is owner of the data? Okay, is it a private company or is it public? That's one big question, okay? Do I want to have a private company knowing all my consumer profile for the rest of my life? Or should my data, especially if they're personalized data, should not be kind of um, protected? I'm just putting the question out there. And here comes the question which associates to it. Is that the society you want to live in where all my data are privatized? I personally do not want to live Well, that's in what's society. currently happening in, in, in China. And and I, I know. Yeah, I don't want that. Parts of the United States yes, and I, even I, in Germany. <laughs> I, exactly. However, the other thing is big data correlations within the industrial site especially if it comes to 5G, the so-called tangible uh, internet, it's a different thing. You know, if you are the CEO of a steel firm and you want to make sense out of big data correlations in your steel firm to make sure that you optimize and maximize the efficiency of your steel out, 
uh, output. This is one thing. This is industrial. The other thing is personal-based data. These are two different things. I would like to distinguish that. If you want to increase your efficiency, big data, data stay with the firm, fine. If it's personalized data, it's getting tricky. This is one branch of the discussion. The second branch, which I find also relevant and important, is um, if we see all these exponential attacks happening, we are missing out one question we have to ask before. And the question we have to, up, have to ask ourselves up front is not how to implement the exponential growth of technology ahead, but the question in which society we want to live in. And if we answer that question properly, then we are going to identify exactly those forms of exponential attacks which can help us to realize and to answer the question we ask in the first place, not the other way around. At the moment, we are running after things where we don't even know what they're going to do. And the third complex of this question is, whatever um, um, IT tech we're implementing, we are not fully aware at the current state of the discussion about its impact on health, on educational learning and creativity, and on our society. And as long as we are not able to look at the side effects, the three side effects on our society, on health, and on education, and we are not able to set up the net benefit of this IT stuff, we should sit down and wait and evaluate first before you invest and then take the risk and then basically have to deal with the rebounds. So that's the piece of advice that you're giving to yeah. our listeners, investors. Yeah. yeah. So I, I could I agree with I, you. I, I, I can give you a, a, a very concrete example. Uh, if you have an iPhone, invest in iPhone industry, right? Let's say, or in, in, in the smartphone industry, um, and you have kids, there is enough robust data out there that kids under six to eight years should not, should not use that technology because of the learning curve, because of the addictive potential, because of their vision, because of their orthopedic posture at the cervical spine, etc., etc., etc. So if you're father of the kids that age, you should be aware, do I really oversee the negative side of the potential negative side effects of the technology I've invested in, etc., etc. On the societal level, we're talking about automation and, and robotronic, which is going to replace a lot of intermediary work and jobs. Parts of them are going to be replaced, but parts of them are going to be laid off, right? And then the question is, yes, we're going to go into automation anyway. We're going to the robotronic, yes. But how is going the society to look like in a world where a lot of stuff is replaced, especially hard work, right? Should we then discuss something like a basic income? Shouldn't we kind of discuss a society where people are laid off and not forced to work at all by creating forms of taxation, forms of uh, uh, recuperation through automation, robotronic, that at the end of the day, we can even enhance robotronic and automation, but not at the expenses of people that are not forced to work, but they can do other things. So these are the three, four ideas I would have with regard to.
mm-hmm. exponential tech. Okay. I understand. Thank you. What is your daily transformative practice? What do you do that, I mean, obviously you've, you've, you're very accomplished, two PhDs, professorship, writing books on an ongoing basis, uh, running a hospital. How do you stay um, healthy and sane and uh, inspired? What do you do on a regular basis? Well, I mean, the, 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 these things in the societal field, they don't make yourself accomplished. The accomplished part comes out of uh, a 20-year um, spiritual practice, which is based on uh, Japanese Zen and Tibetan Tonglen practice on one side. I'm uh, doing advanced yoga, uh, Hatha and Yenga yoga. I'm uh, involved into intermittent fasting. I fast 130, 150 days every year. Um, I do concentrated prayers. I do a lot of running and I'm involved into silent retreats. And for first and foremost, I love spending time with my two minor kids changing diapers, playing football, and just being involved into the ordinary daily life. <laughs> this balanced me out. <laughs> yeah, that would help. <laughs> that would help, yes. Absolutely. Where can people uh, go and learn more about your work? Uh, they could uh, visit me uh, at the hospital where we are running a hospital for integral mental health, one of the largest of its kind in middle Germany, where we integrate conventional medicine and complementary naturopathy, medicine in acute and chronic cases of mental disorders. Or they can... Which is, can you give us in Saxonia, name? In Saxonia, Diakonie, Diakonie Kliniken Chadras. Um, they can send me an email, they can look me up on my website. And if it comes to finance, six-pack and the towel finance, uh, they can contact me through my homepage, I guess. How do you want to be remembered? Oh, that's a very good question. I would like to be remembered as the guy uh, who did a responsible job. Who was on the right side of history. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah yes, yes. On the right side of history and uh, did a responsible job. Like, uh, if I think of Stefan, uh, he was reliable what he was doing rely on him that's it that's fine enough (laughs) wonderful thank you so much it's been a pleasure to have you thank you for the interview for more on professor brunhuber visit stefan-brunhuber.de that's stefan with an f for more on dr bosazan and the investment turnaround visit investment-turnaround.com hear you next time